Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the 528th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers over at jerseysportingnews.com on the soccer department. And it is going to be a lot of fun. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Um, As we talk about wonderful moments for our national team, nothing makes me happier when you're seeing good, young, talented American soccer players getting an opportunity to perform on the biggest stage in the world, which is, of course, these CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. These are games that are at the highest level of soccer that our players can perform on the international level. It's nice to see them in continental tournaments like the Gold Cup, especially even in the Nations League. Uh, That's been out there uh, for the first time ever. And hopefully we'll have a better Nations League situation going into the next round, whenever that is, of course, and that will probably be after the World Cup in Qatar. But once again, the greatest party, the greatest football tournament that we all want to be a part of is the FIFA World Cup itself. And we all know that this upcoming new year, when we get to the end of January and a game in the beginning of February of 2022, and then the final three games in March, hopefully we will have the big check mark next to the name of the United States of America, and that means that we will be qualified to go to Qatar for the FIFA World Cup. Which brings me to the story, or at least the discussion I'm about to have here in my introduction monologue here on this show. And that is Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe has been amazing to watch so far. Now, granted, he's leveled off a bit, but to be fair, that's to be expected. Still young enough to go out there and to make some mistakes here and there, But one thing is for sure, he's active, he's talented, he puts the ball in the back of the net, and head coach Greg Berhalter trusts him very, very much to be a starter for this national team and for the future. You know, I just recently saw on Twitter today, (coughs) excuse me, through the account of uh, Fox Soccer from Fox Sports, about Ricardo Pepe's life of growing up, being a soccer fan. His family, of course, originally from Mexico, and of course they are living in the United States within the state of Texas 
in one of the border cities of El Paso. Of course, we all know of him being a part of the FC Dallas Youth Academy and how they have grown. He's grown through that. He's been he's been nurturing through that and the wonderful things going on here with him and the talent that he has shown, not just in MLS, but now on the international stage. Sooner rather than later, he's going to make it big, and he is going to transfer to probably a very big club somewhere in Europe. Now, obviously, family being from Mexico, and as I understand it, they are Club America fans. You never know, even if he does stay and goes to play for Club America, if it does happen, not sure if it will. I'm not saying I know what's going on because I don't know what's going on. But, you know, to play in one of the biggest leagues in the region of CONCACAF, which is, of course, Liga MX, MLS is still growing. We're not all the way there yet, but we're improving here in Major League Soccer. But you have to go with where the majority of the money is, the most successful, longest league within this region outside of Europe and South America. And that is Liga MX or Liga Emakis. If he ever does go and play for Club America, where uh, his father is uh, the big fan of, of course. But I'm here to tell you that I am proud of this kid. And I'm also grateful, decided to put on the red, white, and blue of the U.S. men's national team. Putting on that international jersey representing our country is the greatest gift we could ever get as a soccer fan. And I think when you talk about these kids who have football in their blood, that has soccer in their blood within this region, and of course we all know about these people who come over from Mexico to get and trying to have a better life here in this country, in the States. And of course, there's many of them all over the place, obviously. Texas, California, Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, um, Utah, Colorado, uh, you know, in Florida, Louisiana, Alabama, even in New York City and Chicago and other places, anywhere in the United States. And you have talented players who are Mexican-Americans. And the hope is that they choose this country either they were born in or they were given an opportunity to play professional soccer here in this country to wear the USA shirt. Now, you know, other, there are other players that are Mexican-Americans, like, of course, from the New York Red Bulls, Omir Fernandez from the Bronx, New York. And he has taken his spot, he's taken it, you know, he's taken the bull by the horn, so to speak, and he has done very well. He is improving, he's doing great, and someone like me, yes, white and Jewish, proud of him for being such a good attacking player. Why? Because he comes from the Bronx. And I don't see... If he is Mexican, I don't see if he's Honduran, I don't see if he's El Salvadorian or Canadian or whatever. He lives in the Bronx. I'm not from his neighborhood, but he's from my borough. 
And I'm happy and excited that he's doing well for the Red Bulls. And I also hope that one day that he will go and get selected by the U.S. men's national team, whether it be a youth tournament. I don't know if he's eligible as an under-20, maybe an under-23, or he's going to go for the senior side of the national team. But I want to see him perform because he is from the Bronx, and the Bronx is from New York. But let me just say this. These are the type of players that will have issues when it comes to their friends or other people who will tell them, don't be for the U.S., play for Mexico. Your family's from Mexico. You're from, you're, you're, your blood is Mexican and all this, all this stuff, and that's fine. I th- and that's fine. If they feel if that they feel they're more Mexican than American and they want to be a part of that national team, then so be it. But I have a bigger question to ask. Because if these players do decide to put themselves in a position to play and be part of the Mexican national team setup and they live here in the States, being born here in the States, do they really get a real opportunity to play for the Mexican national team? If they choose to do so, that's fine. It's their choice. But I have a question to ask them. Do they truly get a real opportunity to play for the Mexican national team? Because as far as I'm aware, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and that's fine. Do these players that come from Mexico, do they truly get a, do they truly get a real shot at the national team, part of the national team? Or are they just being used? as pawns to not allow our national team to enhance their God-gifted talents. It's just like at Guadalajara. If you're a U.S. national team player, but you're playing for the all-Mexican club that will not accept you to play for them in the red-white striped shirt with the blue shorts, You will not play for them unless you disavow yourself from the U.S. men's national team. That's that's what they are. That's what they do. They tell you, if you are Mexican-American and you are part of the U.S. youth system, or you're part of the U.S. US national team system, period, and you want to play for the mighty Guadalajara, for the mighty Chivas – that will not allow a non-Mexican player to play for them, you must disavow playing for the U.S. men's national team. And if that ever happened here in this country, that would be probably the biggest outrage that I think we would ever see. I want to play for Guadalajara. I want to play for the great Chivas. Are you Mexican? No. Well, then you can't play for us because you're not full-blooded Mexican. 
because that's what we stand for. That's, that's our rules. Yet it's okay over there, yet is it okay over here? And the, question, and the answer really is no. See, what I'm trying to say is you have players like David Ochoa who grew up through the Real Salt Lake Academy did amazing things in the USL Championship League with Real Monarchs courts. They are also <clears throat> the second division club of Real Salt Lake. Won the USL Championship by beating Louisville City in Louisville. Was a part of the U.S. men's national team for the Olympic qualifying. When I saw David Ochoa playing in goal, either through ESPN Plus or through ESPN channels, and I've seen him make save after save after save, I said to myself, that kid is the future of the U.S. men's national team. Not because he's a Mexican descent, or he's you know from Central American descent from his parents, or whatever, Caribbean, or however it is. No, because I saw him as the future goalkeeper of the U.S. men's national team. Yet, he decided to choose to play for Mexico. And so far... David Ochoa, nowhere to be found on the national team for Mexico. I mean, Mexico qualified for the Olympics. He never went to play for the Olympics for the Mexican national team. I don't even know if he's even considered first string or even second string. Because the depth chart is so big for El Tree in their minds... This is just taking away our strengths as a national team. And I truly believe that is a hindrance to our national team. These kids, dual citizens, Mexican-Americans, I welcome you with open arms to the national team. And even though it's not my call, and even though I have no say in what the scouting department does with involving Greg Berhalter or Soccer House in Chicago, don't fall through the cracks. Please, I'm asking you nicely, please be a part of our national team because we will give you a legitimate chance. And that's my hope that everyone else will listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great show for you tonight. Basically, no guests tonight, unfortunately, but I will review uh, World Cup qualifying here in CONCACAF through eight games, and then, of course, U.S. Open Cup qualifying <coughs> the next round, excuse me, the next round going through. We already have some teams that have qualified through the Northeast and the Central, and then we'll talk about the next round, which will be in December, and then we'll get to that when we get to December, of course, and, of course, it's going to be 11 clubs and then, of course, a little bit on the Red Bulls before we say goodnight here. It's a very one-hour show tonight. Fifteen minutes are in the books. World Cup qualifying as we speak in CONCACAF. You know, when you look at this table, let me tell you, when you look at this table, it is amazing to see what we have here when it comes to who's in first, who's in third, 
and right now dominating the fourth position and how everyone else is basically dropped off. As of right now, Canada in first place with 16 points. The United States in second place with 15 points. Uh, Mexico and Panama tied for third with 14 points. Mexico holding that third automatic position uh, with the plus four on the differential. Panama in the playoff position with a plus two. They're behind Mexico by two goals on the differential. And then you have Costa Rica in fifth place with nine points. You have Jamaica in sixth place with six points. You have El Salvador in seventh place. Um, Excuse me, I've uh, made an error. I apologize. Costa Rica in fifth place with nine points. Jamaica in sixth place with seven points. El Salvador in seventh place with six points. And it is Honduras who has no wins, three draws, five losses for three points. All three draws, a point each. And they are on the differential of minus 10. Quickly, Honduras, I am amazed that they have had leads at home and they have lost them. Losing those matches at home. Obviously, you knew that was going to happen with the United States with after a 1-0 lead into the start of the second half. And then, of course, the four-goal explosion down in Honduras. But the match they had against Panama at home, up 2-0, and then dropping all three goals by Panama, allowing them to get a big win on the road in their home stadium, it's just incredible to watch. Um, El Salvador, plucky, fighting, not getting the points that they should be getting, but it goes to show you when you have a good man in Hugo Perez who played for the U.S. men's national team, did some wonderful things at the youth level, been given a chance by El Salvador when in reality probably should have been given an opportunity by U.S. soccer to go out and manage one of our youth teams, or at least the national team itself, you know what? I think he would have done pretty good and maybe better results to begin World Cup qualifying. But so far, um, El Salvador probably needs to do a lot better. But once again, it's a situation where they're just not talented enough to move forward and they rely heavily on their home field advantage with that raucous crowd yelling, screaming, and chanting. But once they get over here to the U.S., basically, it's over because they're going to get destroyed when they get up here. And we'll get to that uh, in a moment as well here, of course, when we look at the schedule for the United States. Um, Jamaica, you know, basically shooting themselves in the foot. Yes, they got screwed over by the referee against the U.S. They They had a legitimate goal removed. No VAR. After a strong start down in Kingston at the office... And then uh, basically a blinder to level the match 11 minutes later after Timmy Weah got his goal. But still, though, Jamaica 
just not doing enough as a whole to get the necessary points. And I think they're going to be done and dusted here when they, we get back into the three-match window in the end of January, beginning of February, when they continue on. Because they've got to face Canada and Mexico again. Um, Costa Rica, doing a decent job. They have two wins. Doing more right now uh, than Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras. But, you know, Costa Rica, it's that golden generation. Their time is ticking away. I don't think they got anything left in the tank. I think that they're done and dusted. I think it's over. I think it is over. I think they're done for. I, I don't I just don't see them becoming a big threat when it comes to them trying to fight and move out of the elimination section to try and get into the qualification places of the octagon. So that's a big one right there. But when you get to Panama, are they the big surprise out of these four nations right now moving forward it's a yes and a no yes because their manager has improved them tremendously no but because the reason why i say no about panama is that they've been getting better and better every cycle their improvement in tactics their their improvement in player development because we all know panama is a baseball nation, a baseball country, like what Venezuela is, you know, like some of these other nations in Central America and in South America, including in the Caribbean, like Cuba. They're a baseball nation, but they are improving themselves in the game of soccer, and their national team is doing much better. So for me, yes, because of the coaching, no, because their players have been improving every single step of the way. And because some of them do play in MLS and some of them do play abroad, they're getting their opportunity to shine. And right now, they're the only ones that have given the U.S. their only loss in this World Cup qualifying cycle currently as we speak. Mexico, while everyone is saying Mexico is still Mexico, this national team, I believe is starting to fall. They're on the other side of their 30s. They're on the late end of their 30s. Their names and their reputation are the only reason why they're still trying to be a threat. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to drop out of third place and maybe be in the playoffs. Because as of right now, they're only five points ahead of Costa Rica, as well as Panama. Seven points ahead of Jamaica. If there's a late run somewhere by one of those two sides, they're going to knock off Mexico. If Mexico does not get out of their slump, or at least trying not to play too badly, or trying to bend but not break. Excuse me. 
Mexico will remain punching their ticket to the FIFA World Cup. But if they're going to have an issue sometime in the new year, and they get a couple of losses here and there, then they are going to be on topsy-turvy land, and it's not just the media. It'll be the fan base, because they are going to really let them have it. And then Tata Martino will really be in the hot seat, and it might be thrown into the big volcano. We'll have to wait and see. For Canada, this is what I have said in the past. And I don't know if some of you will agree with me or not. And if you don't, that's fine. But the truth is, is that Canada is now on level terms with the U.S. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about players playing abroad, players that are playing in Major League Soccer, and now the Canadian Premier League coming to fruition – You put everything together, and you're getting a program that is no longer one of the laughingstocks of this confederation and no longer a laughingstock or a nation you you don't really care too much about in world football. And while they are having great players performing on the pitch, whether it be at BMO Field in Toronto Stad Saputo in Montreal, Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton, BC Place in Vancouver, any soccer stadium or Canadian Football League stadium that this national team will be playing in or out of or traveling within the, the Confederation of Central American Caribbean, <coughs> excuse me, guarantee you this, the right head coach always give you the opportunity and the belief that he will give you as a national team to go out and dominate and play the game you know you can play. When Octavio Zambrano was the head coach of Canada, started off very strong and solid for that national team in the Gold Cup for 2000 and I believe it was the 2019 Gold Cup. Started off strong. And then after that Gold Cup tournament, John Herdman wanted to remain in Canada, and he wanted to take on the men's team. Forced the hand of the head of Canada soccer to basically sack Zambrano, a man respected in, world fo- in, in this region of, of, of soccer, so that he can stay and take over the Canadian national team for the men after so many years with the women. And my God, look what he's done. The belief, the tactics, finding other players of dual national citizens who are also Canadian to join this national team, and they're doing amazing things. 
Canada is the biggest surprise in this World Cup qualification. But to be fair and to be honest with all of you, when Canada defeated the U.S. national team at the Nations League group stage match at BMO Field in Toronto, I said to myself, while I was disappointed in what Greg Berhalter did with that match, I knew that right off the bat, this new guy is a threat. Because he's giving belief to his players. And when you're getting your players to believe in the system that you're throwing out there, or at least believing in his words, that gives you a shot in the arm, kick in the rear. And I said to myself, got to watch out for Canada now. But at the same time, you have to pay attention to what they do. And look what he does in Nashville. Gets a result for Canada. Gets a 1-1 draw on the road at Nashville at Nissan Stadium. And now they have an opportunity to let them have it in January when the U.S. goes back to Canada for an important World Cup qualifier. So far, we don't know where it's going to be played yet. Uh, if you watch or are able to watch on YouTube some of the programs of from One Soccer, the rumors are it will be at BMO Field in Toronto because Canada's got to go back and forth to Central America again. They've got to be on the road in El Salvador, back to Canada to take on the U.S., and then back to Central America to take on Honduras. It's huge. It's very, very huge. And now we go to the United States. After a poor opening three matches, well, let's just say two and a half, because we should never have drawn in El Salvador, but you take the road point regardless. Should never have drawn at home against Canada, because, let's face it, Greg Berhalter basically looked like a zombie, and plus he was outcoached by Herdman, and he had the worst opening 45 minutes in a home or away World Cup qualifier on the road in Honduras until he finally made the changes he had to make. In September, next window, October, did excellent, (coughs) excuse me, did excellent against Jamaica. Horrible match down in Panama. Once again, causing a goalie controversy in Costa Rica by playing a backup as a, as a starting goalkeeper where he allowed a goal to be scored in the opening minute of the match. Still allowing a backup goalkeeper to play in the next two World Cup qualifiers because basically that's his boy. I understand he feels Stefan basically knows how he wants to play and how he wants to build from the back. But the truth is, Burhalter, all the changes he makes in the second half to become a positive and a positive result. And yes, he's defeated Mexico three times within a calendar year, which is an amazing feat which I never thought I'd see that happen. But once again, 
The truth is this. Greg Berhalter likes to outsmart himself for no reason. I don't care if Zach Steffen gets peppered every single day at training that helps him become a very strong goalkeeper. He has only played four games. And if Greg Berhalter wants to get burned, he's already been burned once with with, uh, Stefan in goal. And even though he got a win out of it, he still got burned. But he won't listen. And I know you cannot tell Pep Guardiola, I demand you play my goalkeeper as the starter for your club. You can't do that. But Greg Berhalter has to understand. If he continues to use Stefan in these remaining six matches at home or away, it's going to be 10 million times worse. And then what happens if Stefan gets injured like he was injured in the Nations League final? And to use Horvath to come in to save the day. And Horvath, I don't think he's playing either for Nottingham Forest. I know some of you don't like MLS a lot, and I understand that, but the truth is, is this. What do you want? You want to forsake a win just so Stefan can play because he plays in Europe, but he's not actually the starter? He's not starting every single week? Or do you want a guy like Matt Turner who's getting regular minutes, in form, ready to go. That's what I'm asking you. Do you want to win? Do you want to go to the qualify for the World Cup? Or you would just rather drool because Stefan plays at Man City and he's not starting on a regular basis. It's up to you what you want. But I'm not someone who likes to mess around with these things. But they've been playing strong. They've been playing very good. I'm happy from what I'm seeing. Hopefully Giovanni Reyna will be back out there from his injuries to go out and really dominate these last six remaining matches. And that's all we want. Dominate. Dominate these remaining games and qualify for the World Cup. The bickering and the infighting has to stop, folks. And I'm talking to you, the supporters, the fans. The bickering and the infighting has to stop. It should not matter where the players come from. Just as long as they're able to play internationally, they're able to score the goals, stop the goals from the opposition. And go out and dominate. That's all we have to ask for. Plain and simple. And move forward. So once again, out of eight games that were played, we have six left. And here we go. The remaining schedule for the U.S. men's national team um, on January the 27th, which will be on Thursday night. The United States will host El Salvador. And then on Sunday, January the 30th, the United States will travel up north to face Canada. The rumor is it's going to be at BMO Field in Toronto. 
because of their travel situation going back and forth to Central America. And then, of course, the United States will host Honduras on a Wednesday night on the 2nd of February. And then the last three games, the United States will be heading down to the Azteca to face Mexico on March the 24th. On Thursday and then Sunday, March 27th, the United States will finish up their home schedule against Panama. And then they will finish up qualification on the road on March the 30th on a Wednesday down in the National Stadium of San Jose in Costa Rica. And that is the ring schedule for the U.S. Canada, as I understand it, they're going to have two games at home, four games on the road. They will be on the road at Honduras, home against the U.S., on the road at El Salvador in January and February, and then in March. Uh, Canada will be on the road at Costa Rica, and then they'll host their final game at home against Jamaica, and then Canada uh, will finish on the road in Panama on the last day of World Cup qualification. Mexico uh, will be at home against the United States, against El Salvador, against Panama. They'll also be on the road. Of course, uh, they will be at home against Costa Rica and then on the road at Jamaica. So that is, of course, the big three right there. Panama, as we've already said, what they're going to do. And it should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting. And I personally cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen. I cannot wait to see how it's going to be. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, from World Cup qualifying to U.S. Open Cup qualifying, the final round of matches for both the Central Region and the Northeast Region, while matches are done in the third round, and now they'll be going to the fourth round in December, the final round of qualification up there. But first things first, there are 11 spots up for grabs for the amateur clubs. So, first things first, uh, Northeast, the Northeast uh, region Lynchburg FC defeating FC Maritza by a goal to nil they have secured their spot in the draw for the 2022 US Open Cup Northern Virginia FC with a 5-0 destruction down to 10 men against Districtonian football they qualify for the Open Cup Philadelphia Lone Stars, <coughs> excuse me, destroyed at home by Brockton FC, five goals to nil. So Brockton United, excuse me, Brockton FC United advancing to the draw, and then Oyster Bay United from Long Island headed up to Brewster, New York, and upstate New York. In Westchester County, they defeat Westchester United FC four goals to one. And Oyster Bay, the new darlings of Long Island, they are going to their first ever U.S. Open Cup. Big, big matchup in the Central, especially in the Colorado area. Azteca, Azteca FC, a Mexican-American club, in extra time defeating the Mighty Harpos FC by a final of four goals to three, seven-goal barrage, an amazing moment 
between these two rivals in the amateur rankings of American soccer. And then Defeaters kicks SC. They take out Southwest Football Club by a final of two goals to one. That means for Defeaters and Azteca FC, they advance to the first round draw of the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. So that is six spots out of the 11 that have already been stamped, punched for next season. In the southeast region, we have the Florida Soccer Soldiers, a one-goal victory over Red Force FC. In the Florida region, Georgia Revolution losing. Their reserve side losing to the South Carolina United Heat in extra time by a final of three goals to two. And then it was a nine-goal barrage as City Soccer FC defeats Inter-Soccer Association by a final of seven goals to two. And then the Orlando FC Wolves defeating Miami Soccer Academy by a final of three goals to one. And so we are awaiting for that draw to get underway. And, of course, in the West, Battleboro FC falls to San Francisco Metro FC by a goal to nil. Uh, El Ferrolito losing to Contra Costa FC three goals to two. Escondido down to nil to Chula Vista FC. And then they go into extra time. And in extra time is Escondido that wins it by a final of three goals to two. Outbreak FC falls to Capistrano FC by a final of three goals to two. Sporting ID 11 defeating Inter San Francisco three goals to one. And because Desert Communities SC could not field proper roster for their third round matchup against San Fernando Valley, Desert Communities SC has forfeited. San Fernando Valley will advance into the final round. And such a shame to see another match forfeited all because of not available to get a roster formed to play this match. So once again, the first six clubs to join Lansdowne Yonkers FC out of New York and Westchester County, Brockton FC, Lynchburg FC, Oyster Bay United, Northern Virginia FC out of the northeast uh, out of the northeast region and Defeaters and Azteca FC out from the central region to advance to the draw for the first round of the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup exciting news and exciting times I cannot wait and once again Winners from the third round in the Southeast and in the West will find out about the draw for those final round matches, which will be played in December on Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th, and the five remaining spots are up for grabs. It should be interesting to watch, and it should be a lot of fun. Once again... 
Here is the schedule of what will happen in the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. On the 6th of January, Open Division birth um, allocation announcement. That's on the 6th of January. On the 19th of January, it will be the first round draw. On the 26th of January, (coughs) clubs that will enter the second round proper, those pairings will be announced, and that will mostly be USL Championship. Do not forget, clubs from USL League One, National Independent Soccer Association, USL League Two, the National Premier Soccer League, and those Open Cup qualifiers will be announced who will face whom in that particular draw. So get your draw sheets ready for that one. And, of course, expect me on Twitter to pass that information around. January, excuse me, March now, March 22nd and 23rd, it is first round proper. And then April the 5th through the 7th, second round proper. And then we get ready for the third round draw on the 8th of April. That's where the teams that did not make the MLS Cup playoffs will enter. And April 19th through the 21st is the third round proper match. April 22nd, fourth round draw, and that will be the rest of MLS getting involved, those that did make the playoffs this season. Fourth round proper, it will be May 10th through the end of the 11th. May 12th will be the fifth round draw. May 24th through the 25th will be the fifth round proper. And then automatically, whoever wins their fifth round matches will advance to the quarterfinals. Those matches will be played in June from the 21st through the 22nd. And then the semifinal draw and the host final draw will be on June the 23rd. The semifinals will be on July the 26th and 27th. And then the final will be either September 6th or 7th or the 13th and 14th. And that will be the winner advancing to the CONCACAF Champions League for 2023. And that should be a humdinger of a situation. So there you have it, folks. That's the setup. So get ready and, of course, Follow uh, the cup.us through Twitter at US Open Cup for uh, the matches. Of course, let's not also forget that those matches of uh, qualification will not be on ESPN. It's only going to be, hopefully, either through those 11 sports or YouTube or whatever uh, they're being announced, uh, that those matches will be seen uh, on a stream. But once again, all all matches of every round of the 2022 U.S. Open Cup will be seen on ESPN Plus through their platform, and that will be from the first match in the opening round all the way to the final. It will be broadcasted on ESPN Plus through their streaming service. Get it? I've, I've had it. I've gotten it. It is absolutely fantastic to watch what's going to happen. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. Open Cup will be back than ever. 
It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait till we get back to Open Cup competition in 2022. It will be exciting. It will be exciting. I cannot wait. Let's get out there. Let's have some fun. And let's go out and enjoy ourselves. So, as we're about to wrap up this show, still some time left. You know, this has been an interesting season if you are a New York Red Bull supporter. This has been an interesting season if you felt that you didn't think anything was going to come of it. Because of the injuries, some of these players here on loan, what good is it going to be? Has the pipeline dried up on talented players by the New York Red Bulls? And honestly, it has not. You know, to see them go out there and performing at a high level, and even though they were able to drop points at the wrong time by having leads and then losing those leads and then losing the games, it was absolutely terrible. But then they had that big, big unbeaten streak going, uh, you know, 11 out of 12, unbeaten in the last 11, unbeaten in 11 out of the last 12 games of the regular season to make the playoffs. And even though they lost on a world-class strike by Jakob Glesnes, the Norwegian hammer, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. But once again, once again, the situation is this. No one ever thought they are going to make the playoffs. And they did. And even though they were one and done, they proved once again to those in the MLS, never count us out. Never. Which is what the MLS media did coming out of the league office. Now, let me say this. I want to say this. I'm not here to blame those people that cover the league for MLS that they should apologize for their prediction. If they felt they were going to not make the playoffs this year, you have every right to believe that. I'll be honest. I thought this was going to be the first time that they were not going to make the playoffs since 2009. I thought this Red Bulls team was challenged and that while they do have talented players, I didn't think they were a team yet, but something snapped. Something brought their attention back. And they started to play like a team. And they were consistently playing like a team. And they went out And they did a job, they climbed the ladder, and they got over the hump, and they were able to play in the playoffs. Now, there is structure back, 
Gerhard Struber was the right man for the right job. Thelwell has done an amazing job of getting this club to where it should be. But now, right now, there's more work that needs to be done. Thelwell knows it. Struber knows it. Now it's time for you to go back to Red Bull Arena for 2022 and refill the place again and do a job. And speaking about doing a job, I am very disappointed in Mr. Tom Bogert of MLSsoccer.com. I don't understand why the... MLS media people have to intentionally go after this Red Bulls club. I just don't understand it. I also don't understand why do you have to go and attack them all the time. Look, they felt they were getting no respect. Fine. They have every right to feel like that. I'm not saying you don't have the right to your opinions. You do. But when you intentionally go out, out of your way, after a one-and-done situation on the Red Bulls, after, let's be honest, it was a good match, not a great match, it was a good match, over in Philadelphia, you have to understand that those types of of messages on social media are not appropriate. You want to have a point to be proven, then you do so at another time. The Red Bulls had every right to say, look, this is where everyone predicted where we would finish, but we clinched a playoff spot. And it was nice of you to say, look, you admitted you were wrong, You didn't think they're going to make the playoffs this year? Hell, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs this year either. I thought they were going to do it for next year. But they did a job. (coughs) And then all of a sudden, you have to go and attack the Red Bulls after they lose in the 123rd minute. At the end of the third minute of extra time of stoppage time. Do you have your receipts? Tom, really? Do you have to go there? Do you really have to go and attack the Red Bulls when they basically battled their heart out and you decide to go and do a little bit of social media surgery? Get, you know, get a scalpel, make an incision, take your hand, stuff it inside their chest, grab their heart, and rip it out, and then rip it up? Is that what you have to do? After a grueling 123 minutes of nothing, where basically both sides are playing the same type of system? Do you really have to go there? Do you really have to prove that you're the better guy? Because you have to be extra witty. Because you have to be mean about it. 
Oh, I know. I saw the tweet afterwards. I'm only kidding. I still didn't think they're going to make the playoffs. Fine. Say that. But don't go out of your way to intentionally mess up with the Red Bulls. Look, I don't know you, Tom. I've seen you before in the press box. I may have said hello, but I don't know you, and that's okay. But the truth is, you work for the league. You cover Major League Soccer as a whole. You work for the league. You should know better than to make comments like this. I don't see league writers of Major League Baseball going after the MLB clubs. I don't see those writers who cover these teams in the National Hockey League go after NHL clubs, NBA, or the NFL, or even on their own networks, like NFL Network like the NBA TV, like MLB Network, like NHL Network. I don't see the writers who work for those respective leagues covering those specific teams. I don't see them intentionally attacking those teams on social media. What you did was wrong and unprofessional and childish. You can criticize them professionally, but no, you went too damn far. Is that what has to happen? Is that what they want from MLS HQ? That you have to intentionally attack one of the clubs that you are covering? It's disgusting. It's stupid. It's pathetic. You don't know what you're doing. Do yourself a favor. Go write your own blog. Leave the league. Write your own blog. And just be a blogger. You know, if I was able to work for MLS and cover the Red Bulls, or at least cover a club for the league, I would be like, you know what? I'm going to do my best to cover this team in a professional manner and make sure that I do things the proper way. If you don't want to do it the proper way or the professional way, then what's the point of you being there in the first place? But then again, maybe that's what the league people want. I don't know. But the truth is, I don't like what you did, and I don't like what you were doing, and that's not professional. There is a level of professionalism that you must show if you're going to cover a member of the league the right way. And if you're not going to do it the right way, get out. That's what I try and do, to do this professionally and to do this honestly and not have an issue. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this will do it for tonight's episode of the Four Seasons Fire American Soccer Show. Join me this coming Wednesday night as I will be reviewing all the playoff games that happen over the weekend and on tomorrow night to Tuesday night. Join me for my guests coming up on Wednesday. And hopefully, we will be ready for you to have some fun. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.